Welcome to another episode of Do Loss. My name is Levi Bimba, and on today's show, we're going to talk about the Republican Party imposing white Christian nationalism. There is an opinion piece in the New York Times, or not the New York Times, but the Washington Post, talking about how the GOP, the Grand Old Party, the Republican Party, uh, is trying to instill white Christian nationalism uh, through the laws on the books and, and through these, these movements that are coming up. Um, so I wanted to, when I read that headline, I wanted to talk about it and read the article and, and try to figure out what exactly this, this writer, her name is Jennifer Rubin, talking about in, regards, in regarding white Christian nationalism. And so I just want to read through the article and make a few comments on it as we go along. So here's what she writes. She says, people might be confused about how a Republican Party that once worried about government overreach now seeks to control medical care for transgender children and retaliate against a corporation for objecting to a bill targeting LGBTQ students. And uh, this kind of this first opening line that she has gets me thinking about how uh, you hear some politicians say that everything is political. And I think I agree with that because everything that is political deals with how a government ought to govern its people, how it ought to rule in a society. And because everybody in government is a person, every person has a worldview and that worldview informs how they're going to interact with the world. And it's not limited to just me and you who are living our daily lives, working, uh, eating, you know, hanging out with friends and going to church, reading our Bibles, engaging uh, in a Christian community, but it also deals with people who are not saved. They have a worldview. They have a set of morals and beliefs that they operate on in the world. And that happens at the highest levels of our government. And so a worldview is based on a, on a particular set of presuppositions regarding morality, regarding judgment, regarding what is good, what is evil. And so uh, for her to be kind of shocked that Republicans would, would not just stick with things that are re related to the government overreach and move into these other social areas it's kind of disingenuous because her she has a set of worldviews, too, that she's operating based off of and wants to impose on the rest of the nation because she thinks they were good. And just like she thinks there are certain things that are good that should be imposed upon the rest of the nation, Republicans, uh, Republicans also think the same way. Uh, and so she continues here and says, and why is it that the most ambitious Republicans are spending more time battling non-existent critical race theory in schools than on health care or inflation? Now, I'm not a CRT expert. I'm not a healthcare or inflation expert by any means, but everything that takes place within uh, with the life of a person, uh, they have a worldview. They have a, they have a belief system on how to handle that situation. So whether it's critical race theory, whether it's healthcare, whether it's inflation, all of these things have a, are, are going to be reacted to based on a set of presuppositions, a worldview that somebody has. So when it comes to CRT, from what I've read, when people are looking at people based on the color of their skin and, and treating them or treating them differently based on their color of their skin or, or attributing motives or bad thoughts or, or bad deeds to them based on what they look like as a uh, as Republicans, but mostly as Christians, we're going to look at that and say, well, that's not right because we're not supposed to be partial. The Bible tells us not to be partial. Par partiality is a sin. And to be treating people differently based on what they look like, that's sinful in the eyes of God. So, And because most Republicans kind of align with Christian ideals, uh, they're going to have uh, a say in how they respond to critical race theory and wanting to get it out of the schools in whatever shape and form that it's in. And also that, that extends itself to health care and also uh, inflation. So she continues and, and she says, uh, to explain this, one must acknowledge that the GOP is not, is not a political party anymore. It is a movement dedicated to imposing white Christian nationalism. So when, obviously, when, like I said, when I read that, I'm thinking 
in her mind, she has a, de a definition of what white Christian nationalism is. Uh, and my, my thinking, obviously, of white Christian nationalism is, well, just to parse those three words, white is referring to people who have a certain skin tone that we deem as white. Uh, I'm, I'm in a minority position, meaning I don't really subscribe to the terms white and black and all the, all the racial categories that we have because I don't think they are aligning with what scripture has revealed. But a Christian, obviously, we have a definition of what that is. A Christian is somebody who follows Christ, somebody who loves Christ and wants to obey him and, 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 and imitate him in their lives and wants to please him in what they do. The nationalism is somebody who is uh, loyal to their country, loyal to their ideals that are within their, their, uh, their country's culture. And so uh, when I hear white Christian nationalism, to me, I don't even think white and Christian really go together. Just like I don't think black and Christian go together, go together or Hispanic Christian or all of these things that make it seem like there's kinds of diff there's differences within the theology of these people when there's only one theology that has been revealed to us through the scriptures and how we interpret that is only done one way and that's also through the scriptures you know scripture interprets scripture the ana i think it's called analogia scriptura i think it's a technical term for that um but she continues and she says uh the media blandly describes the gop's obsessions as culture wars but that, but that suggests there's another side seeking to impose its views on others. Everybody's trying to impose, impose their view on somebody else. So we, especially when you have seen what's been happening this week regarding this, uh, this leaked abortion document, which I plan to talk about on next episode. But uh, <laughs> one lady had a tweet. She said, I, I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but she says that uh, people get upset when, uh, when Christians are imposing their religious views on others when these people are trying to impose their irreligious views on everybody else. So, I mean, both sides are doing the same thing. Just like when it comes to education, people are teaching what they think is our good, moral, sound uh, reasonings to be passed on down to children. So everybody's being indoctrinated in something. It's either good or it's evil. It's either the sound doctrine of the scriptures or it's the secular, secular worldview of, of uh, unsaved people. And so she, she continues, in reality, only one side is repudiating, is repudiating pluralistic democracy, white, Christian, and mainly rural Americans who are becoming a minority group and want to maintain their political power. Again, she's assuming that white and Christian means they, there's, a, there's a group of uh, quote-unquote white people that have the same kind of theology, same kind of doctrine, that want to uh, maintain some kind of semblance of, uh, of, a, of a color restriction within the society. And there may be people that call themselves white or Christian, and the want that and want those things, but they are not they are not actually truly Christian because no Christian would want to create an uh, a, a partial society, and that's what we're trying to attack here with uh, with the scriptures, and we'll get to those in just a few minutes. So she continues and it says the result is an is an alarming is an alarming pattern. Any moment of social progress is soon followed by reactionary panic and claims of victimhood. It's no mere coincidence that Donald Trump, the leader of the birther movement, succeeded the first African American president. Nor should the anti-critical race theory movement surprise anyone given the mass protests in the wake of George Floyd's mur murder in 2020. Understanding his, phenomena, his phenomenon is crucial to preserving pluralist, pluralistic democracy. Uh, okay, so she, her, 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 her highest ideal here is to maintain a pluralistic democracy. So having a, a melting pot of different uh, cultures, different religions, different, and everybody tolerates one another. Uh, but obviously that's never going to happen because in the in the world that is uh, hates God, hates his truth, hates what's right, hates what is 
sound and, and pleasing in the eyes of God, there's always going to be a battle. That battle has been going on since Genesis 3. So there's no way that you're going to have a democracy that is uh, pluralistic as far as its um, as far as its religious tone, where everybody just tolerates everybody, which is what I think she means. But she brings up all these other issues regarding the birther movement, anti-critical race theory, and George Floyd's murder in 2020. And so there's always going to be division over these issues because we're, we're battling over what's true, what's good, what's evil, what's right, and worldviews are always colliding within culture. And so there's never going to be this kind of peaceful. Uh, pluralistic democracy, which I think in her mind, she would probably be thinking that this is these are things that she thinks are uh, things that are bad. Obviously, some of those things that took place were bad. Um, but regarding certain things that you have to define, if she's not really being clear in defining what she's talking about, then she's kind of assuming that everybody that agrees with her wants pluralistic democracy. Everybody that disagrees with her doesn't want a pluralistic democracy. And, and so it just gets confusing when you're trying to understand what people are, are talking about when they're not really defining what they mean by these different things. And so she continues and she says, uh, Sherilyn Eiffel, former head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, recently recalled the period of protest after Floyd's murder in an, in an engrossing podcast with former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. The movement, Eiffel explained, was the first time many Americans collectively empathized with those who had experienced systemic injustice, but those who are arrayed in opposition to justice and equality have not lost sight of it, she said. What they saw in the protests is part of what undergirds the current movement that you're seeing around the country right now. And so there is a, there, like I was saying earlier, there is a, a battle of worldviews. There is a battle of what is right and what is wrong. Certain people have certain beliefs about what injustice is or what justice is or what systemic injustice is and when you don't have clarity around those terms and it's even harder to bring people together to define and to talk about and to get to a solution of what may be happening in the world and so uh th and this this is really the main issue when regard regarding the white christian nationalism comment that she's making where she doesn't really define what white christian nationalism is other than you're against crt you're against indoctrinating uh you're against a hormone treatment for transgender people you're against abortion and so uh, technically i would be a white christian nationalist by that definition because i'm against those things because i think based on the scriptures that god has revealed those things are wrong but that doesn't make a it's not a white thing or a black thing it's just a christian a christian thing because the christian thing to do is to uh, fill your mind with the word of God and being able to expose lies as lies according to the word of God. And so she continues this and she says, this MAGA crowd is frantically maneuvering to halt education, quote, about the truth of the history of racism and white supremacy of the struggle for justice in this country. The goal is to stymie the development of children's empathy and awareness of racial injustice. And again, uh, just you, just to pull out an example of, I don't, I don't think people are trying to stifle the truth about the history of racism and white supremacy and struggle for justice in this country. I think all of those things that happened in history, we ought to be taught them, especially if they're true, if, they're, if what happened uh, in history regarding stifling uh, certain groups of people, stifling their vote, intimidating them, you know, attacking them just because of how they look like. If that happened in history, then we need to talk about it. And that no Christian should be afraid of that. And so uh, regarding people wanting to stifle this truth, just for an example, when you read at least the Oklahoma law, which, the state is, which is the state in which I live, when they had their uh, anti-CRT law come out, if you just read what it says, it doesn't really say anything about not teaching what happened in history. Not, not it doesn't say anything about not teaching about uh, slavery, Jim Crow, 
uh, the civil rights movement, um, all the atrocities and evils that really took place in American history. Uh, just to quote some of the bill, uh, it says that no teacher, administrator, or employee of a school district, charter school, or virtual charter school shall require or make part of a course the following concepts. One race or sex is, is inherently superior to another race or sex. I think everybody who actually wants uh, equality in the eyes of God, everybody who agrees with that, that all men are made in the image of God, uh, would agree with that statement. Uh, no, uh, another concept that shouldn't be taught is an, an individual by virtue of his or her race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. Again, which is a biblical motive. You don't attribute false, you don't attribute motives or beliefs to somebody without getting the facts, without getting evidence of what they are doing. You can't just attribute something to somebody based on what they look like. That's not, that's, that would, that would be, that would be being partial, which is condemned again in James, the book of James and in the Old Testament as well, very clearly. And we'll read some of those scriptures coming up. Uh, another part of the, the Oklahoma bill said an individual should be, or, uh, this is part of what should not be taught within the, the school system. An individual should be discriminated against or receive adverse treatment solely or partly because of his or her race or sex. Again, nobody should be treated badly based on what they look like or, you know, their genitals, all of this stuff that is really Christianity 101, which is why slavery and uh, the, the, the treatment of the slaves and, and uh, the, 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 the intimidation, the violence, the rape, all of the evils that took place within the American slave trade. Uh, are condemned and were rightly condemned and should rightly be condemned because they were going against the laws of God and how to uh, and how to treat uh, the slaves and how to uh, accommodate them or how to treat them as fellow uh, as fellow image bearers uh, of God. And so uh, that's just part of the Oakland bill that talked about how they are not. So they're not trying to stifle education regarding history of racism and, and Jim Crow and slavery and all those things. So. When she says this stuff, at least quoting this other lady that was saying this, this is not it's not a, a tenable position because it's not a truthful one regarding um, Christians who are just wanting uh, truth to be taught. And no matter what that where that truth leads as a Christian, I think we have we should have no problem with that at all. And so she also says the goal is to, is to stymie the development of children's empathy and awareness of racial injustice. And I think part of teaching children uh, is to tell children the truth. And so if somebody is being uh, attacked, if somebody is suffering some kind of injustice, we should be willing to tell our children the truth. Ephesians 6, 4 uh, talks about that regarding uh, raising children. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4, and it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So teach your children positively what to do, how to act, how to speak, and also negatively, negatively not you know what not to say what not to see what not to look at all of these things should be being taught to children so when it comes to empathy when it comes to uh when it comes to the other trait that she brought up racial injustice or whatever injustice that, that takes place everything has to be brought into scrutiny by the light of scripture so if something is wrong and something that is bad that is taking place according to the word of god is happening then we need to tell our children that we need to express express that to them and tell them that this is not our personal opinion. This is the opinion that God has laid out for us in his word. Another verse that talks about uh, the raising of children kind of in a, in a roundabout way when Paul was writing to Timothy regarding his, uh, his, his background growing up as a little boy. He says in 2 Timothy 3.15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So I think that makes it clear that 
even um, uh, even as a child, you know, Paul, uh, Timothy was able to know and to understand God and even to come to salvation in Christ Jesus through the teaching of the scriptures, regular teaching of uh, and, and that, in the context, there was his grandmother and his mother teaching him the word of God so that when Timothy grew up, he was able to receive Christ and follow him and serve him along with Paul in the ministry. So uh, Jennifer Rubin continues in, our, in her article and she says, in a real sense, the MAGA response is an effort to conserve power and to counteract the sense of a shared fate with Americans who historically have been marginalized. And she talks about the MAGA response, you know, the Make America Great Again uh, crowd. Um, she says they want to conserve power. And I'm thinking every politician wants to reserve power, no matter who they are, because the, the whole basis of conserving power is conserving power based on the votes of people who actually agree with their worldview, who actually agree with what uh, they want to do regarding the laws in a society. Uh, she talks about how the right, the right now defines itself not with policies, but with, and, but with its angry tone, its malicious labeling and insults, uh, e.g. groomer, woke, and is targeting of LGBTQ youth and dehumanization of immigrants. Uh, again, if we are coming against them with anger and with vitriol and, and really in a way that is sinful, then I think that's wrong. That's not, that's not how we should be uh, treating people. Uh, but that doesn't mean we compromise on what's true. So when she talks about how we're talking about how their groomers are being woke, I mean, these are titles that I think the left side of the aisle has come up, as far as woke is concerned, they've come up with those kind of titles, the groomer, when you're indoctrinating children into sexual immorality, uh, I mean, I don't see how you are not a groomer if you're not telling them the truth regarding sexuality. You're not telling them the truth regarding how they ought to live in a world regarding their sexual identity, that, their sexual identity that God has given them. And so when she talks about targeting LGBTQ youths, we're not, we're not targeting, targeting them because we want to attack them. We want, we're targeting them because we want, them, we want to tell them the truth. We want them to have a fulfilling life that pleases God, chiefly by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, but also and uh, embracing the sexual identity that God has given them from birth, from conception, really. Uh, so it's not targeting them. But, and it comes, when it comes to dehumanizing immigrants, again, we shouldn't dehumanize anybody. We shouldn't attack anybody based on where they come from. But that doesn't mean we should skirt the laws. That doesn't mean we should uh, avoid what God has laid down as lawful within the country that doesn't conflict con conflict with what his word has revealed regarding uh, uh, righteousness and, and holiness. So there's different things. And again, what, what she means by these terms, she doesn't really explain here other than uh, at least when, that, when it comes to LGBTQ stuff, when it comes uh, you know, giving children transgender treatment. That's obviously something that we should not be doing as Christians because, because we would be engaging in a, an attack on the truth of God's word regarding these, this issue. Uh, so she continues and says, uh, right wingers attempt to cast their opponents as sick, dangerous and above all, not, quote, real Americans is as critical to, to securing power, power as voter su suppression. And uh, this is, um, I think part of what she says there is, is true. Uh, when you are, when you, again, when you're trying to indoctrinate children into evil, uh, perverse sexual ethics, then you are dangerous. You are uh, sick because all of us are sick when we don't have Christ in our lives, when we don't have the word of God informing our worldview. It is a sick uh, position to be in. It is a sick state of mind to be in when you don't want to accept the word of God. It's just, that's how it is. That's how, because the word of God is the light that brings peace, that brings joy, that brings a uh, blessing because God, it's God who's giving you his word and telling you how to operate, how to live in the world for you to enjoy life and, and flourish. 
And when you reject that, you're, you are sick, you are dangerous, and you are in, not just endangering yourself, but you're endangering others as well. And as far as not being real Americans, I mean, what again, what does that term mean? And, I, and I've heard, I have heard that from uh, uh, people on both sides of the aisle talking about how this, if you don't, if you don't agree, agree with me on this issue, you're not really American, you're not pushing forth American values. And there are set American values that somewhat are based on the word of God. But again, American values are not the final authority. They're not the final thing that we look to to make sure that to decide whether or not something is good. What we decide whether or not something is good, what we base our, that decision on is the word of God and God, God's word alone. That's it. So we're not loyal to really any country. We're not loyal to any politician. We're not loyal to uh, to any party uh, within our country. What we are loyal to is the word of God. And that's what I kind of mentioned. That's what John MacArthur mentioned on my last episode when I played this clip when he said we support the truth. That's what we support as Christians. We don't support any other anything other than the truth. And the truth is obviously found in Christ in his word. So she continues and she says that the uh, the indignation of MAGA personalities when presented with the reality of systemic racism is, t is telling and very much in line with white evangelical Christian views. As Robert P. Jones, the head of the Public Re Religion Research Institute, who has written extensively on the evangelical movement, explained in an interview with Governing. And this is uh, this guy's quote. What we saw in the 20th century was that edifice of white supremacy that got built with the support of white Christian leaders and pastors in churches. Once it was built, the best way to protect it was to make it invisible, to create a kind of theology that was so inward focused that Christianity was only about personal piety. It was disconnected from social justice, politics, the world. It led white Christians to be fairly narcissistic and indifferent to injustice all around them. Martin Luther King Jr. had that line in, in letter from Birmingham jail where he's in dismay, not about racist Christians, but about so-called moderates in Birmingham the, quote, more right, more cautious than courageous, end quote, white Christians who, quote, remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. And so uh, when he's when this uh, public religion research institute, Robert Jones, he's talking about how uh, historically white Christian leaders and pastors did not uh, really speak out forcefully regarding social justice because they had turned Christianity into an individual uh, religion, more of a personal piety religion, like like he says, where you just have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that really doesn't doesn't affect anything else. Which I think, if that's what they were doing, then they were wrong. Because as a Christian, obviously, we it, it is a personal conversion experience. It is something that you yourself have to come through the narrow gate alone, as Matthew seven talks about, and you drop everything and you trust in Christ alone uh, for salvation. You don't go in really with people. Uh, you, you have to believe Christ for yourself. You can't trust your parents' religion. You can't trust your grandparents' religion. You can't trust your friends' faith. You have to trust in Christ for yourself. So there is a personal aspect to uh, Christianity, to believing in Christ. You have to do that for yourself. But it also should affect how you look at the world. It should affect what you see as right and as wrong. So uh, wh whatever Christian leader was during that time and was not speaking out forcefully against what was going on within American culture, they were wrong. They were sinful. They were they were, they were cowards. They were scared uh, of the blowback or whatever the case may be. They just were not doing what was right. And that should have informed how they looked at the world. So, they, I mean, they, I think Martin Luther King Jr. was right to call out those uh, Christian leaders and pastors who did not speak up for what was right according to the word of God. But again, this goes back to um, 
the point I'm making here, when she's attacking people wanting to impose white Christian nationalism, uh, the Republicans who have a set worldview that most of them is based on some kind of quasi-Christian worldview, when they are also calling out issues regarding trans the transgender movement, abortion, uh, uh, homosexuality, all of these issues, they have a worldview and they, they are, they're calling it out just like they should have called it out back in the, or, you know, the, the 20s, 30s, and 40s regarding racial issues. They should have called it out then. And so they're calling out these issues today, and, but she doesn't like them calling out those issues. And now she's seeing that as imposing their Christian uh, nationalism on the, another, you know, the left side of the political aisle. So she continues and says, indeed, rarely has King's admonition been more appropriate. And she quotes Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. here. I have watched white churches stand on the sidelines and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I have heard so many ministers say those are social issues with uh, which the gospel has nothing to do with. And again, that would be wrong. Uh, he would be right if there were people talking about how the gospel has nothing to do with all these other issues, then I, I think that would be wrong in the sense that whatever is true, whatever is godly, whatever is right, according to the word of God, we should be for that issue. We should be for, uh, you know, uh, supporting that which is right, according to the word of God, no matter where it touches, uh, and whether it's a quote unquote, a political issue or a social issue, whatever the issue is, if the word of God has an opinion on it or speaks to it, which I think it does regarding, I think, every issue then we should be willing to speak, uh, speak truth regarding that specific issue. So she says, she continues, it says, Today those who argue that America is a white Christian nation simultaneously, simultaneously insist they are devoid of bigotry. Now anybody who says that America is, is for, quote, white people, I think that's wrong. That's sinful. That's a bad, uh, uh, bad worldview to have. It's a sinful, evil worldview to have because, again, that's a partial worldview based on the concept of race that really has no biological meaning at all. It was completely invented. And hopefully we'll, I'll talk about that in, a, in an upcoming episode. Um, so she, she continues. And she said the MAGA crowd is offended by any attempt to identify the ongoing reality of systemic racism, evident, for example, in the criminal justice system, maternal health care, housing discrimination and gerrymandering, gerrymandering to reduce minority voting power. So, again, if there's any kind of uh, systemic uh, racism or more, I think more uh, clearly systemic partiality going on within a culture, our culture today, as Christians, we should be willing to call it out no matter where it is. So if people are getting treated differently at the doctor's office, at the voting booth, uh, by the police officers, uh, we should be willing to call that out and, 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 and condemn it because it's wrong. Uh, but we have to do our due diligence and make sure that we have uh, evidence. We have a, a factual basis by which we are making these claims and, and bring evidence, not just make broad claims without defining exactly what we're talking about. And she, do, she doesn't do it here in, in this article. Uh, so she continues, uh, the notion that institutions they refuse to reform perpetuate racism is a sort of moral challenge to their claim to be colorblind. Perhaps it is simply self-interested blindness. Again, every institution that we have, it should be quote-unquote colorblind. It should not be... Uh, they shouldn't be looking at people based on what they look like, their background, and then making a judgment based on those things. They should be making judgments based on the facts of the case. And we see that very clearly in Leviticus 19.15, where God is setting up these laws regarding how you adjudicate certain issues that rise up in the society. And in Leviticus 19.15, God says, Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. And this is the unrighteousness that he's talking about. 
Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. So God is saying there, you are not allowed to treat somebody differently or treat somebody more favorably because of because they're poor. So you don't get you don't get a better treatment just because you're poor, nor do you get better treatment because you're mighty or you're wealthy or you have some power or an, an influence in the society. Just to take a very uh, a clear, a simple example, if a poor person murders somebody, that per, that poor person deserves the death penalty. It doesn't matter if oh they're poor, you know they didn't really have a, a good upbringing or you know they didn't have a lot uh, of opportunity and they killed somebody, so we're going to lesser the the judgment on this poor person. That is evil in the eyes of God. That's partiality. Same thing with somebody who's rich. Just because they have a lot of money, they can pay the bail. They can pay uh, great lawyers to get them, quote unquote, off of the murder charges. If you are rich and you murder somebody, you deserve the death penalty under the eyes of God. You don't deserve any kind of better treatment than uh, than the poor person who commits murder. Uh, Jesus uh, talks about this issue as well. In a more broader context, in John 7, verse 24, where he's talking to the religious leaders of his day, and he says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So we are not given the latitude from God to judge according to what somebody looks like, how they dress, where they come from, their background, their opportunities. None of that matters when it comes to righteous judgment. We are not to judge according to appearance. We judge according to what is right and what is good based on the word of God. So she uh, continues the article and says that no one should be surprised that the big lie has become gospel in white evangelical churches. The New York Times reports in, in the 17 months since the presidential election, pastors at these churches have preached about fraudulent votes and vague claims of election meddling. For these church leaders, Mr. Trump's narrative of the 2020 election has become a prominent strain in an apocalyptic vision of their left running amok. So that's a mouthful. So, but if there are, and obviously the big lie was that Donald Trump lost the election because it was stolen. There was a lot of, of, of fraud that caused the votes to flip, and, and that's why President Biden won. So if there, are, uh, if there are a lot of churches talking about voter fraud and, and, and claims of election meddling and things like that, I think there, I really don't think there's any place in the church for that kind of attitude. And uh, I'm glad that you know, our church didn't get caught up in that, in that, uh, that issue. And our pastor, uh, you know, our pastor Doug, before he went on to be with the Lord, he talked about how he did not want that to be the issue. I mean, because... Ultimately, who is sovereign? God is sovereign. God will bring people up who wants who he wants to bring up. He'll bring people down who he, who he wants to bring down. So in the 2020 election, God said, Donald Trump, you're done. And he said to President Biden, President Biden, you are now in as uh, the leader of America because I'm putting you there. And it happened because that's how God wanted it to happen. So that's why President Biden is president now is because that's that's who God wanted to be president at this point. Now, does that mean that God agrees with everything President Biden is doing? Obviously not. God didn't agree with everything President Trump was doing either. Um, so, but God has his own purposes for establishing leaders and putting them in power. And we have to remember that. Uh, so in regards to should the church talk about these kinds of issues when it comes to voter fraud and, and election meddling, I don't think that was the commission that, that Timothy received from Paul that ultimately came from Jesus Christ, where he says in 2 Timothy uh, verse four, he says, I charge thee, therefore, 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So Paul's words to Timothy was to preach the word, preach the Bible. And don't worry about voter election fraud and don't worry about election meddling and all those things because God is sovereign. And when you preach the word, the people in your, congreg your congregation will know that God is sovereign and that whatever takes place within any election, it's, it's according to God's will. That doesn't mean you don't get out and vote. That doesn't mean you can't go canvas votes and, and take polls and, and try to get people to vote for a certain position that you think is, is right and biblical. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But regarding the church and what the church's priorities are, the church as a pastor specifically is to preach the word, not to get involved in, in a, a voter election fraud and, and all kinds of claims that have taken place uh, since that day. And we have to remember that, like I said earlier, elections are ordained by God. And we see that clearly in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, where uh, Daniel is really praising God for who he is. He, uh, it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons, and he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So right there in verse 21, he says, He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. So God is in control of who gets power. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, he was just reelected into power. That was God's will. That was God's ordination. Um, there's a, 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 a presidential a presidential election coming up in Liberia pretty soon. And whoever gets power there, that will be God's will for that person who comes into power. We have our elections here, our midterm elections coming up in November. And whoever gets into power during that time, that will be God's will because God ordains all things. And we see this also in the New Testament when Paul is writing about government in Romans 13, where he says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. And so Paul is saying, uh, he's about to tell us why we should be subject to the higher powers. He says, for there is no power but of God. So remember that there is no power but of God. Every power, everybody that is in office, everybody that is a police officer, a mayor, a city council man or woman, uh, a doctor, you know, anybody, or I'm going to say doctor, doctors don't really govern, but um, a congressman or woman, somebody, the people in the Senate, the people that, who are in the House of Representatives, the Supreme Court, everybody who has any kind of power within society when it comes to government, they are there because of God. And Paul, as if it wasn't clear already, he continues and he says, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. And so whenever you are going against the rules that um, our leaders have set down, you are actually going against God. Now, we have to keep in mind that there are rules that God has given to us that supersede the rules of the societies. For example, like this huge abortion case that came down, it is wrong in the eyes of God. It's evil in the eyes of God to kill babies. If you, if you want to kill babies, that is evil. That is wrong in the eyes of God. So just because the government has made it legal, for you to do so, you are still committing evil in the eyes of God. So God's law always supersedes the laws of government. But any law that the government makes that is in accordance with the word of God, then we ought to bend over backwards to keep that law. So the police, if they come and tell you, uh, you know, to 
give you their ID or, or, or do whatever they tell you that is not contradicting the law, the law of God. You better be submissive to what they have to say because that is God's prescription for us as Christians. Uh, so she continues and ends her article by saying, uh, if anti-critical race theory crusades are the response to racial empathy, then laws designed to make voting harder or to, or to subvert elections are the answer to the, to the GOP's defeat in 2020, which the right still refuses to concede. The election has been transformed into a plot against right-wingers that must be rectified by further marginalizing those outside their movement. Our political problems are significant but they are minor compared with the moral confusion that is afflicting the millions of white Christian Americans who consider themselves victims. Left unaddressed, this will smother calls for empathy, tolerance, and justice. And when she talks about anti-critical race theory crusades, other response to racial empathy, racial empathy and critical race theory really are not aligned in their ends. Empathy is good. We should have empathy for people who have truly suffered discrimination, who have suffered partiality, who have suffered wrongdoings when it comes to their, their personal lives. Um, but critical race theory is not based on creating racial empathy. It's really based on creating more division because they don't want objectivity. They don't want, uh, quote unquote, colorblindness. They don't want impartiality. They, it's promoting partiality. It's promoting uh, assumption of guilt uh, for people uh, based on what they look like. And that is an evil philosophy based on what God has written in his word, where we should not be partial based on what somebody looks like. Remember, Jesus said, don't judge according to appearance, judge with righteous judgment. And she talks about how there's moral confusion, moral confusion afflicting millions of white Christian Americans. And if anybody is not morally confused, it would be Christians because we actually don't subscribe to our own worldview. We subscribe to God's worldview and we want to impose God's worldview on ourselves, our families and the world because God's worldview is the best worldview. So for her, for somebody like her who agrees with LGBTQ issues, who agrees with uh, indoctrinating children into transgender ideology, who agrees with uh, killing babies in the womb. For her to accuse Christians uh, of moral confusion is, I think, one of the heights of moral confusion that there is, because she has a worldview that is that is wicked, that is evil, and she's trying to castigate the other side by calling it a white Christian nationalist uh, worldview. Which, again, some of it, some of what she has said may be true about some people who want a quote unquote white America, which they would be wrong, they would be uh, evil, and I would even call those people Christians if they were trying to promote a partial standing of people within the country. So, but moral confusion only happens when you reject the word of God. When you, once you reject the word of God, pretty much anything is up for grabs, which is why people are willing to die. And, and people are really uh, angry this week because they are not, they may not be allowed to kill their babies on a national level uh, because this, this edict, which Lord willing, we'll talk about in the next episode, didn't really, hasn't really overturned the, 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 the uh, legal uh, ability to kill your baby it just determines that it should be it should go back to the states but hopefully we'll cover that in the next episode but thank you for listening today and i will see you on the next episode of do loss